You're listening to audio from Mercy's Door Community Church in Mascouda, Illinois. If you'd like to get more information about Mercy's Door, we'd love for you to connect with us on Facebook or check us out at mercysdoor.org. Mercy's Door last week and the week before, Pastor Michael took special care for two weeks to spend time reacquainting and refamiliarizing us with two dominant voices that are piercing through the culture day in and day out since the beginning of time. Two loud voices at war, one being the voice of the one Lord God, the creator of all things, your maker. He spent a whole Sunday just reacquainting us with his voice, what it sounds like, what it says, what it does. The one true God, who, the, one in, the one being in all, in all creation that can speak and procreate. The one who, speaking into nothing, burst forth everything that by a word brought forth both the intricacies of the smallest cell and the great expanse of the universe. Our, created, our creator God speaking life into existence. That God called the word, the one Jesus Christ who in John chapter 1 says that in the beginning was the Word, Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God, and it was by the Word that all things were made that was made, and that without Him was not anything made that was made, that this Word was life, and that this life is the very light of men, and that this light shines in the darkness, and that the darkness has not overcome it. This is the Word of life. This is the Word of God. And then last week, he spent time reacquainting us and refamiliarizing us with the voice of our enemy, the other voice, the voice that reigns over the dominion of darkness, the voice in the Garden of Eden, the voice of our enemy, Satan, who whispered and rolled the red carpet out for the seed of sin, the very basic question, did God really say that? Is God really good? Is God maybe holding out? And by these basic questions, these basic, these basic accusations hurled at God lays the foundation for all the sin of the world and thrusts mankind who believes this seed of doubt and in it starts to take up a sense that, you know what, maybe, maybe, just maybe, I'd, be, I'd make a better God. Maybe I know best. Maybe my God doesn't know best. And created, looking at creator, looking at the maker, saying, I know better and turning from God and then entering into this domain of darkness. And we know as we read through Scripture, left to right, that the story unfolds so that Satan wins, that he is the prince of the power of the air, that he is the one who reigns over the present darkness of this fallen world, that apart from the saving grace of Jesus, that we exist in the dominion of darkness and only by Christ's salvation are we transferred from this domain of darkness into the dominion of the Son, the Son of Light. And after spending time setting the two, juxtaposing them against one another and helping us to kind of get a sense for what these two voices sound like, Pastor Michael invited us into a sermon series whereby week by week we are going to come to understand that each of us are currently under the reign and authority of one of these two dominions. We are either citizens of light, citizens of the beloved Son, citizens of heaven, belonging to God the Father, and therefore, our native tongue, having been adopted into that family, is to speak the words of life, the words of our Father God, our Maker. Or we are citizens of darkness, the domain of darkness, and our tongue is His tongue, the tongue of deceit and of lies. But if we belong to Christ, 
if we are citizens of heaven, citizens of the dominion of light, then our speech is to reflect the speech of our Father God. By his spirit, our speech is to reflect the new tongue that we have been given. And so week by week, we're going to be looking at what it looks like for us to obey the Lord by the Spirit's power to speak as he speaks. And this week, we're taking special attention to look at what it means to speak life, to speak truth, to speak the gospel to others. There are lots of spaces that we're going to cover throughout this sermon series, spaces where we can refine our tongue, spaces where we can learn from God what it looks like to be representatives of his kingdom in the way that we speak. But today we're going to focus pure and simply on what it looks like to be speakers of truth and life and love and the gospel to others. And when I say others, I mean all others. And we're going to get there this morning in Colossians. Let's start in our passage this morning. I'm going to back it up because we're so early in the letter, just to give you the full context. Let's start in verse 3 for a minute. Paul is writing to the church at Colossae, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you. Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, verse 9, our passage, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. I'm going to pause. So Paul's just, we've just gotten the context for what Paul's about to say. This man, Epaphras, has gone into the city of Colossae, spreading the gospel. And now since then, he's had a rendezvous with Paul. And he's told him the good news, that the gospel was received in Colossae, that people have believed the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they have joined the brotherhood, and that they have joined in love for all of the saints, and that they have been transferred into the domain of light. And celebrating this, that, that Epaphras, his ministry has been effective and that people have received the gospel is writing a letter to that church in Colossae. And this is what he says. And so from the day we heard, we haven't ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we, we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. You say, Paul, that sounds like the gospel. Because if we're getting this right, what I'm hearing is Paul just said, hey guys, I heard from Epaphras that you guys believe the gospel. I'm so happy about this, so excited about this. Let me tell you the gospel. Verse 12, he's telling people who he just affirmed believe the gospel, the gospel. Reiterating it to them in beautiful Pauline tongue. The gospel, the good news that they've already believed. And that's my opening point this morning. Paul doesn't mess around. 
he jumps straight into, I've got new brothers and sisters in the faith who have heard and received the gospel, and the first thing I want to do for them in celebration, in joy, as I've been on my face praying for them, is to remind them of the gospel. To be a citizen of heaven, to be a brother to Christ, to know and experience the Lord and know the gospel is to have the gospel on your lips first for in every single interaction, whether, with a, whether a brother in Christ or somebody who's still living in the domain of darkness, Paul is preaching the gospel to fellow believers. And I'm telling you, the greatest gift that you can give in conversation to another believer in this church or in your life is to remind them of the gospel. See, what does he say to them? Let's see how, he, how the distinction that he puts here. I'm, give thanks to the Father. He has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. You didn't do this. Just want to remind you guys. You, I heard you believe the gospel. Make sure you remember this. You didn't do this. He qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. It is he who has delivered us from the domain of darkness, and it is he who has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Paul exalts Christ and the achievements of Christ to the people who have just received the gospel. But Paul also understood something, and I want to pause really quick to get there. If you guys have been in the church for any length of time, more than likely if your church ever did anything to ask uh, in Sunday school or otherwise for you to memorize scripture, more than likely Matthew 28, the, the Great Commission, is, is likely the first thing that you were asked to memorize. Like a lot of people are going to be able to say, yeah, Matthew 28, Jesus has just risen victorious over sin and death and he's face to face with his disciples and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I commanded you and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus himself commissioning his church to go make disciples of all nations. That's what Epaphras is about here. Epaphras has gone into the city of Colossae, obedient to the Great Commission, to make disciples, spreading the gospel, and people are believing. That's amazing, but that wasn't the whole Great Commission. After make disciples is baptizing them in the name of the, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. All that I have commanded you? All? You say, Pastor Adam, that would take a minute. Yeah, that would take a minute. That would take relationship. Yeah, that would take relationship. That would take time and investment and sacrifice. Yeah. And here Paul, excited about the victory that Epaphras had in passing through Colossae and spreading the gospel, is continuing the obedience to the Great Commission and that in order to truly obey the Great Commission, it's not just to spread the gospel, but it's to teach, to observe all that Christ commanded. So what does he say? Let's go back. Let's again remember, he is writing to believers. This distinction is important because I'm going to get, I'm going to come back to it, okay? Paul, writing to believers of the gospel, says in verse 9, from the day he heard they believed the gospel, he has not ceased to pray for them, asking that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. 
See, Paul understood that these things that he's praying for are now accessible to these people because they have believed the gospel. See, having believed the gospel, now being indwelled by the Holy Spirit and ushered into the kingdom of the beloved Son, they are, now these prayers are effectual. This is, these are the things that Jesus does for people that belong to him. So he's saying, by the Spirit, would your, would the, your knowledge of, your, of his will increase? Would you increase in understanding and the knowledge of God? You see, Paul wants this for the believers in Christ. Because this is only accessible to believers in Christ. Only truly accessible to believers in Christ. He is obe obeying the Great Commission here in that, well, you say, well, Paul, that might be kind of lazy. It's kind of lazy. Jesus said, go and teach them to observe all that I commanded you. And Paul, you're like, I'm praying that you would grow in understanding of all that Christ commanded. No, Jesus said, teach them all that I've commanded. Well, that's what the rest of Colossians is for. And he's going to. He's then going to go to great lengths throughout the next three chapters of this book to get specific for them about what it looks like for them to take some of those first baby steps of obedience and observing all of the goodness of Christ. As recipients of the gospel, now Paul saying, here, let me help you take some of those first steps towards knowing him, walking with him, experiencing him, obeying him. But you'll notice that what he didn't do here is start talking about the commands of Christ to people who don't know him. And I wanted to make this a sub-point today. Point number one, so that we made sure that we're getting it together, is that those who belong to the kingdom of the Son, those who have heard the voice of truth, those who know the voice of the living God, are to speak those words of life, the gospel, to their fellow believers, to their brothers and sisters in the faith. Point number two is they are to spread that same gospel to non-believers. And this is where we often go wrong. Because what Paul is doing, and is what we are to do, is to then, in one, with one another in discipleship, with one another in gospel community, in one-on-one -on -one relationship, brotherhood, sisterhood, Bible study, to teach one another to observe all that Christ commanded. Absolutely. We teach disciples of Christ about the ways of Christ, Right? But let me tell you what we're not doing. What we're not doing is going to non-believers in Christ, people who belong to the dominion of darkness, people who have not experienced his grace and forgiveness and redemption, people who have not been transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of light, and start teaching them the laws of God. At, at best, we'll miss them entirely when we try to do that. At worst, we will assist in the formation of a Pharisee people who can articulate the demands of God, the commands of God, but do not actually know the God who's given them. And this is very common, and I'm, I know that I'm preaching in a rural American context, and so I, I want you to hear this. Statistically speaking, there was a, a survey that was run last year that surveyed multiple cities across the country, and, and it determined that 8%, 8% of people from any faith background will talk about their faith with somebody outside their home this week. 23% of people from any faith background will talk about their faith with anybody outside their home this month. I'm not talking about spreading the gospel. I'm not talking about evangelism. I'm not talking about obeying the Great Commission. I'm talking about talking about any matter of faith with somebody outside your home. 8% statistically 
will have a faith conversation outside their home this week. This is not statistically speaking, anecdotally speaking, from experience, if we are going to talk to people outside of our home about our faith, it is not going to sound like obedience to the Great Commission and spreading the gospel to those who are in the domain of darkness. It's going to sound like talking about the things of God, talking about the implications of God's law and God's ways on the culture or on politics or on our preferences or church structures or whatever. But we're not actually talking about the thing that saves the gospel, which has power to transfer people from the domain of darkness to the domain of the kingdom of the sun. And at best, in doing that, we form Pharisees, people who know all about God, but who have never actually met him, experienced him, repented, and received his salvation. Adam, what are you talking about? I'm talking about the Western American Pharisee. It wasn't originally the plan, but let's do, um, I want to jump to Mark for a second. Mark chapter, no, let's jump to John chapter 8 for a second. verse 12. Jesus is talking to Pharisees here, okay? He's, he's, he's got a crowd of Pharisees around him. He's talking, he says, verse 12, Jesus speaking to them says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And the Pharisees say to him, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Let's skip ahead, but basically their law said you can't bear testimony about yourself for something to be true. We need multiple witnesses. And Jesus says, when I speak, it's like me and my father are speaking. Every time I speak, I've got a, a, a testimony of two. Sorry. They say, who, who is your father? Where is he? He says, you don't know me and you don't know my father. If you knew me, you'd know my father also. And then he said to them again, and this is verse 21, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am coming, you cannot come. And they ask themselves, what does he mean, where I'm going, you can't come? And he says, verse 23, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And they said, who are you? And Jesus said, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. And they did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father, God. And Jesus said to them, when you have lifted me up, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, when you have crucified me, you will know that I am he, that I do nothing on my own authority, but I speak just as the Father has taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. And everything I do is pleasing to him. And many at that point believed in him as he said these things. And many did not. So Jesus speaking to a crowd of Pharisees. If we're not familiar with the word, Pharisees meaning like the keepers of the law. They knew the words of God better than anybody, frontwards and backwards. They knew the laws of God. And they are looking God in the flesh, in the face, and saying, who are you? Who's your daddy? They're looking the God that they knew everything about in the face, and they do not know him personally. And God in the flesh says back to them, you will die in your sins, for you do not believe that I am he. 
And then those who believed came to him, and they said, what do you mean you'll set us free? He says, if you abide in my word, in my word, remember, we're talking about words here. We're talking about the word, Jesus. We're talking about the voice of truth. He says, if you abide in my word, abide like the word abode, like live, dwell, stay, exist within. You think of the vine and the branches. If you're connected to me, to the word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Like, what do you mean free? We've never been slaves. We're descendants of Abraham. What do you mean? He says, no, if your father was Abraham, you'd do the things Abraham did, but that's not what you do. You want to kill me. You do the things your father did. They said, well, we only have one father. My fa- our father is God. He said, don't tell me your father is God. I am God. If God was your father, you would, you, you would do as your father said. You do as your father said. They said, who's our father? He said, Satan is your father. The devil is your father. He says, my word has no place with you because you do not belong to my father. I speak of what I have seen with my father and you do not, and, and you do what you have heard from your father. You are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever, hears the God, hear, whoever is of God hears the words of God, and the reason why you do not hear them is because you are not of God. Maybe you should have just preached John chapter 8 this morning. We're going to get back to Colossians in a second, but listen. I obviously can't out-preach Jesus. I can't out-preach Paul. I can't add to what he's saying here. The words of life fall on the children of Christ. The gospel is a sweet fragrance of salvation for those who believe, but it is the stench of death for those who are perishing. If Jesus, God in human flesh, looking at the Pharisees in the face and telling them, I am the Messiah, life is found in me, presenting the gospel from the horse's mouth, is rejected and crucified by them. Ultimately, this is not going to come down to your great persuasive skills, right? Like, are you going to win somebody to Christ that, that Christ didn't win? No, by no means. The voice of life is music to those who belong to the Son, to those who know the Father. So far be it from us that we would craft more Pharisees, that we would have people around, that we would talk to our neighbors and teach them all about obeying God and what they should do and what they shouldn't do, that we would be getting on Facebook and blasting how this world would be such a better place if everybody would just do X. Happy to see people kind of obeying a God that they don't know in order that we can be more comfortable. You want to know, like, whether or not you're, like, neighbors with a Pharisee, with an American Western Pharisee, is like, do you ever hear them talk about Jesus? Do you ever talk about Jesus? The words of life are laced with the majesty and riches of Christ. Let me say it again. The words of life are laced with the majesty and riches of Christ. The voice of your God, the voice of Father God, is always exalting the Son. God the Father is always exalting the Son. Always making much of Christ. Christ. 
content to make the chief end of all things, to bring them under the rule and reign of the Son, to bring, honest, to, to bring honor and majesty to Jesus. That's what words of life sound like. So if in the course of friendship you discover that we don't often talk about Jesus, but we do talk about how awful it would be to take in God we trust off the, off the U.S. dollar, or, or how awful it is if we take one nation under God out of the Pledge of, Pledge of Allegiance, if we concern ourselves with all of these things that we think are good, these cultural structures and institutions that if these are in place will be, will be a more God-honoring nation or a more God-honoring people. I was, these broad strokes kind of trying to say like, listen, if we could just get people to act like they love God, then this would be a great place but not actually concerned with the eternal salvation of the people we're trying to conform to a God that they don't know, that is not what we have been called to do. I'm sorry if that's hard to hear, but I'm telling you that many of you are walking day by day with your unbelieving neighbor, believing that the two of you are on your way to heaven because the conversations don't look like Christ's exaltation. You both agree on all of the ancillary outside things that are often associated with the church of christ that are often associated with christianity and gosh we voted the same we seem to have the same ethics but just because somebody cuts the grass of the church doesn't mean that they belong to the family inside are you hearing me guys we don't want to craft pharisees we want people to believe the gospel. We want people to come to actual knowing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we don't jump to verse 9 to 12 and start saying, gosh, we, we, we want you to know all about the things of God. We want you to act in ways that are pleasing to him. There are a lot of people that don't know Jesus that act more objectively moral than you do. But any moral activity that is not done to the glory and majesty of King Jesus is just filthy rags. So the teaching them to observe all that I have commanded comes after making disciples. You do that with disciples, people who know and have experienced the grace of Christ. And some of you are not sharing the gospel with others because you've never received the gospel yourself. I don't know it to be true, but I asked the Lord this morning, if it's true of one person here this morning, let it be that no longer after today can you say, I never heard the gospel. I, I, I never received it. Guys, it is true that there is only one true God, one creator God, and that in the beginning he created male and female in his own image to perfectly enjoy community with him, to worship him, to experience his glory and to reflect it back to him. We were designed by him and for him. But we turned from him and we rejected him, not just our ancestors, but you. You have fashioned for yourself lesser gods, lesser idols, chiefly yourself, and said, I know best, and rejected your creator God. And in so doing, that is high treason. You have by choice condemned yourself to eternal separation from God. And you stand opposed to him. And, uh, and, uh, and there will be a day where we will all meet our maker. Each of us will stand before him. And we will give an account. And the account will sound like this, because we have a just and holy God. He will leave no sin unpunished. 
And so for every last traitor, the sin must be punished. And it will sound like this. Either I stand before you, God, saying that I have earned entry into your presence, eternal entry into your presence by my life's record of deeds, or by Christ's, life, life, Christ's life's record of deeds. See, God sent the Son, Jesus Christ, into human flesh to live the life that you were intended to live and to die the death that you deserve to die, and then rose him victorious over the penalty of sin and death in order to offer to you freely salvation by faith alone, through Christ alone. And on that day when you stand before the throne of God, you will say, by Christ alone, I'm with him. I'm, I'm with Christ. I belong to Christ. Or you will say, I was a pretty good guy. And that's not going to cut it. Guys, it's not enough that we're not as bad as Hitler. Were we as good as Christ? He's not going to grade on a curve on that day. Either you are spotless because you are covered by the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, or you will be cast out of the presence of God into an eternity of weeping and gnashing of teeth, separated from the one who you were created to dwell with forever. So the Great Commission is not a good idea. Like, this is a really big deal to Jesus. And he filled his church with the Holy Spirit in order that we might then go out and spread the gospel to others. How do you receive this? How do you receive he has delivered me from the domain of darkness and transferred me to the kingdom of the beloved Son in whom I have redemption and the forgiveness of my sins. How do you receive that and then not give it away? How do you receive that and then not tell everybody? How do you receive that and then not display it? The answer is you don't. You don't. The Great Commission was a command given by Jesus who, right after he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, so listen up. And so it gets us to a practical reality of what does it look like for me to do this? And I wanted to get after it just a little bit. I'll tell you a story. I had neighbors years back, uh, dear friends, I love them, and uh, in the course of life, in the course of getting to know them, uh, they learned that I was heavily involved in the church and we just became a part of discussion. And I said to them, I, you know, oh, they said, oh, we're Christians. I said, I'd love to hear your story. And in the, through the course of just knowing them, several conversations passed by, and I heard a lot of things about, I kind of prefer this kind of church, and he kind of prefers that kind of church, and uh, we kind of like this and not that. And I know we should, we're not part of a church right now, but there's some story with that. And then uh, I, I know we should be doing more of this and more of that, and this would be going better, but and we're really working on that. And just kind of a lot of works, a lot of things I should be doing, a lot of things that I've seen, a lot, a lot of that. But I never at one point heard the name of Jesus Christ spoken in any conversation. And so I said to these friends of mine, have you been born again? I don't want to suck the, room, the, the air out of the room, but like, you'll be talking if you ask that question. Go to your neighbor cutting the grass. Hey, have you been born again? Watch what happens. 
Because what we're talking about doesn't sound like, the, sound like Jesus. It sounds like you're saying, like, gosh, I know if I did this and did that and did more of this, then God would be more pleased with me, and I'd be able to keep more of the things that I want and that I have and, and get more of the things that I want. And this doesn't sound like the gospel, because the gospel says that, you're, that, you're, that your rest and your, and your foundations and your, and, and, and your security and your affirmation and your love and all of that is found in the work of Jesus Christ. I'm just not hearing that from you, and that worries me. Have you been born again? Because Jesus said that unless you're born again, that you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Have you tasted the blood of Christ? Have you eaten the flesh of Christ? Have you taken his body and his blood upon yourself? You want to thin out a crowd. Jesus did that. Like, I'm just quoting Jesus. Jesus said to the crowds, you must be born again. And the crowds thinned out. Jesus said to the crowds, unless you eat of, my eat of my body and drink of my blood, you cannot be my disciple. Jesus said to the crowd, you will die in your sin unless you believe that I am him. And some of you say, you know, I, I, I don't want to offend my friend. I don't want to lose my friend before I have the opportunity to really share with them the gospel. I would just say to that, why don't you share the gospel and let that be the reason you lose the friend? There's far more at stake for them than there is for you if they don't know the gospel. There's a courage that's available to you because you're indwelled by the Spirit. It's not going to be about the words you choose, about your timing, about like making sure that you present Christ with your life as attractive enough that they want what you have kind of thing. Like You hear a lot of things, a lot of things like on mugs, Spread the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Use words. Spread the gospel with your mouth. Tell people about the riches of the majesty of Jesus Christ that you have personally experienced. Tell them what you've seen. Tell them what you've experienced. I'll tell you, I had this conversation with these friends, and that night, he fell on his face and confessed years' worth of hidden sin to his fiancée said, I'm willing to lose all of this rather than remain in hiding from this God. And then the spirit in that moment came upon the woman and, and instead of ca causing her to condemn him, brought her into the light as she then confessed all sorts of hidden sin to him. And then they came together before God and confessed those things. And then within a year, I'd be able to baptize them both into the church. You guys say, oh gosh, if it goes like that, I'll just tell the gospel to everybody. That's not how it always goes, Adam. I know. I know, but for every one that goes that way, you remember that the Spirit is effective in empowering the gospel to rescue people. That there are people that God has set aside. He said, get, get them the gospel, I'll do the rest. The, just speak the gospel. I wasn't very good in those moments. Like, it was just talking tell you another conversation I had with a friend of a friend, a, a, a long-standing unorthodox Jew, who made a passing comment to me that he was confident that if everybody lived a good life, that kind of regardless of what they believed, that they would all find them, God would be pleased with them when all was said and done. And so I said to him, well, you know, that's not what your holy book says, and started quoting Old Testament scripture to him, said, you know, like, the Jewish people for a long time have been believing that you can behave your way into right standing with God, and let's, like, look at how it's gone. It's just not, it's just not true. There's only one way 
into God's good pleasure, and it's the Messiah that is promised to you all throughout your Old, scripture, all, all Old Testament scriptures. Let me read them to you. He got really offended that I'm quoting his holy book to him. He says, are you a Jew? I said, no, I'm a, I'm a Gentile, but I know the Messiah that your book promised about, and I, and I hate the idea that you're waiting for him when he's already come. And he said to me, oh, yeah, yeah, a lot of Jews believe that there's a Messiah coming. I believe that that's metaphor and that the Jews are the Messiah and we're supposed to reconstruct the world. And I just said, how's that going? You know? And we don't talk anymore. And we don't talk anymore because I, I feel that I made a clear gospel presentation and gave him an opportunity to reject it. And he did. And I know that there are others in his life who will continue to pursue him for the gospel, and I'm here if he'll have me. But gosh, if the great risk to us in, in Mascuda, Illinois, is the loss of a friendship, I'll just remind you that only one of the 12 original disciples lived to see old age. Where we sacrifice or risk friendship, they risk their life. And in places all around the world right now, that's what it means to spread the gospel, is to risk your life. And we are living in a place where we are able to boldly, confidently, and with really no hindrance except for reputation, spread the gospel to people who are living in the domain of darkness. And, and, and we're not obeying the Lord in the Great Commission. So let me give you this. You have heard the voice of truth. You know the gospel. You know that Jesus Christ alone saves. And you know that that salvation comes with an inheritance that makes all the suffering of this present life unworthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed. You will share in the inheritance of the saints with light. And you've been given one job in your very brief and momentary affliction of this life while you dwell among the dominion of darkness where the prince of the power of the air rules, where the majority of the people around you do not know Jesus, to spread the gospel, to make disciples, to baptize them into new life, and to teach them to observe all that Christ has commanded. And Epaphras did that in Colossae to the joy of his brother Paul, who said to them, he sent the encouragement, it's not just there. Guys, I've been doing this too, is what Paul says. I've been doing what Epaphras was doing, and I want to tell you, this thing is bearing fruit and increasing in the whole world, just like it is among you. Just sharing war stories about what it looks like to like, lock arms and spread the gospel wherever you go. That's what these epistles are. Just keeping up with the booming church all across the world trying to keep up by writing letters some people he never even met just rejoicing that it's been effective guys that's what we've been called to participate in so every time that you share the gospel in Mascuda or on Scott Air Force Base with your neighbor or with a family member that that if you were to write a letter to Paul and let and tell him gosh a few people believed he'd be like pulling out his pen getting ready to write another epistle to send off to the church at Mascuda, Illinois, to encourage them in the ways of Christ, to encourage them in what comes next. Guys, we've been called to participate, to get in the game. How, is it, how could it be that we would look around us and see people functioning like a lie is true, and we know the truth and just be content to let them live a lie? 
to believe that my security is found here, that my significance is found here, that my righteousness is found here, to watch them panic and stockpile, work and slave, and not bring the message of hope that we've been entrusted with. Guys, let's be a church that believes the gospel and that spreads the gospel because that's what words of life do. I want you to pray with me this morning that we would be compelled to do that this week, and then I'm going to give you a few things to think about. But first, let's pray.